Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read a few verses of this. Another good thing about this church is that the clock is much more in the preacher's face than it was before. I can hear it ticking away. Perhaps I should, uh, before we read, just preempt. I thought it would be good, and we'll see how far we get with this. But I thought it would be good, while we're here in this particular location, to unpack uh, a little bit of a, a teaching series that actually I did years and years and years ago. Uh, so this is uh, a refresher course for me, but for most people here, you will have never heard any of this before. Years ago, I, I, I gave myself to teach through what is normally called the Sermon on the Mount which is here in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, these three uh, chapters of Matthew's gospel. It appears in a variant forming Luke's gospel as well, but, but normally is taught from Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, 6 and 7. And what I thought would be good would be to just look at this portion of scripture over these next few weeks. Uh, I may not do it every week. But have a real sense in this particular season in the life of our church to really get right back into the word and particularly this kind of word. Um, probably there is no other moral teaching in the world like these three chapters. If you needed instruction on uh, how to live your life and you were only allowed in some fantasy world, only allowed to take a small piece of the Bible with you, this would be a good part to take, or a good section to select. It contains the most incredible moral instruction. It's so incredible, I've never met anyone who's been able to fulfill it. <laughs> uh, it's something that is... Uh, that is the word of God for uh, all of us. And so I want to take some time to, to look at it. It's so important as a piece of uh, Jesus' teaching that right at the end of it, and Jane was saying this just a few moments ago, right at the very end of Jesus teaching this these three chapters, he says this, if you will put into practice what I've just taught, you will be like a house on the rock. Many people think when he said that, he was talking about being a Christian. He wasn't. He was talking about those who heard and obeyed the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're going to be like a house on the rock. So it must be pretty important then for us to know these, uh, these uh, 
uh, instructions from the Bible. Matthew 5, verse 1. When the, now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Who came to him? His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. So, first of all, these people are not the crowd. It's not the general public. He saw the crowds, verse 1. He went up onto a mountain and the disciples came to him. Not the crowd, the disciples came to him and he sat down, which is a Jewish thing to do. Today, the audience sit and the speaker stands, but in, 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 the, in the Jewish world, the speaker would sit down and uh, he sits down to teach them. And this is what he says. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Just one more little piece here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices 
and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. One of the interesting things about this passage, in fact about the whole sermon, is that it is preaching uh, to the converted. It's preaching to the converted. You ever hear that phrase? Normally it means, you don't have to tell me, I know. You ever heard that phrase? You're preaching to the converted, mate. You're preaching to the converted, meaning you don't have to say anything to me because I, I already know it. And this sermon is exactly like that. It's preaching to the converted. He calls his disciples to him or they come to him. It's a little unclear as to how, it, how that happened. But the people to whom God is speaking are the converted people. They are the disciples. The, uh, the people to whom Jesus ministered, the people that he mingled with many times, especially in Israel, were converted people. They weren't in need of evangelism in the classic sense that we might think today. They were worshippers of God. They knew about God. The big question was not whether there was a God, but whether Jesus had come from God. But there was no question about that they were followers of God. And Jesus comes to preach to the converted. And the reason he was doing this is because while the people had a general understanding about God, also they had gone off the rails. They had the Ten Commandments, but the way they had applied them, the way they were living them out was quite wrong. So the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount just in a very thumbnail summary, is to bring people back to the, the central message of the Ten Commandments. Not the slightly customized and edited version that these people had, but to bring them back to the original meaning, if you like, that was in the heart of God regarding them. And all throughout the sermon. Jesus refers to the preachers of the day when he would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say this. And the preachers of the day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they had this law. They were responsible to communicate it, but they had communicated it erroneously, falsely, wrongly, inaccurately, whether deliberately or not. And that's why he says to them, I haven't come to get rid of this law. I haven't come to abolish the Ten Commandments. I've come to fulfill them. And I want them to be lived out and taught to others. He says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of your teachers, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He was saying, your, these commandments are good, but the way they've been taught and the way they've been received and, and lived out is wrong. So he comes to bring the people back to the original meaning of these commandments from the heart of God. 
Well, it's obviously something we really need to know about, isn't it? What do these things really mean in terms of the, of the heart of God? First of all, these amazing beatitudes. I'll go back to my big print Bible up here and have a good read of some of them. These have been called beatitudes. They've also been called the beautiful attitudes, which I really like. A quote from Leon Morris, who's a New Testament writer, he says this, I mean, he writes on the New Testament, these beatitudes, writes Dr. Morris, make a mockery of the world's values. They exalt what the world hates. And they reject what the world admires. You go into work tomorrow and ask people if they feel like being poor in spirit, they will say no. One or two of them might desire to be peacemakers. One or two might desire to be merciful. But these are things that the world don't don't really like. In fact, some of these things is the kind of stuff that your dad told you not to do. Because he was worried that you might get bullied. Or that life might trample upon you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That isn't normally how people feel. So right at the beginning of this incredible message that he's about to deliver. And that we're going to look at over these next few weeks. Jesus begins, like any good preacher, with an introduction. This is what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you about being pure. I'm going to talk to you about being hungry and thirsty for God. I'm going to talk to you about being a peacemaker. I'm going to talk to you about being wronged when you do right. I don't know if you've ever been to... uh, a doctor of late and you sit with a doctor and he says, okay, this is the problem you got. Fine. He says, okay, I want you to take these, these tablets for 60 days. Very nice. Sort you out. Well, I've learned over the years to ask the doctor questions about these things. And now one of my questions is always this, okay, doctor, I will take these tablets, but you tell me first, What's the side effects of taking these things here? I want to know the side effects. And normally, the doctor says, well, just read the enclosed leaflet. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken a prescription and read the enclosed leaflet. What I've found is that the side effects for medication, the side effects are these. Everything you could possibly have. (laughs) Have you ever read that? Well, you might experience... A heavy head, a light head. (laughs) You might feel full, you might feel empty. You might feel drowsy, you might feel full of energy. I'm thinking, I'm feeling pretty nauseous just reading these. But sometimes the doctor will say, now, okay, these uh, these are some of the side effects. Now, this medicine is going to do you good. But don't be surprised 
if as you take this medicine, there are one or two things that you'd rather not um, deal with. One or two physical effects that you would rather not deal with. Jane will deny this, of course, but there was one time when I was feeling a bit funny, a bit unwell, and she said, you must take this pill. It will make you feel better. Take away your pain straight away. So I took it. Within 10 minutes, she exaggerates this, of course, but within 10 minutes, she couldn't get me up the stairs. The drowsiness was extraordinary, and she was gent- and I can, I can feel it now. If I go back, I can feel her pushing my back. I was going to say, get to bed before thou collapsed. The following day, I didn't show up at church. And Jane had to preach instead of me. How many know she ain't giving me that tablet ever again? It's a side effect. However, my pain went away. Right at the beginning of this sermon comes that little bit of paper inside the tablet box. This medicine is going to do you good. But here are the side effects of taking it. What what do we mean by that? Well, those who seek to be blessed by God right here. Are people who are going to be, verse 3, poor in spirit? Well, I don't know whether I like that side effect too much. Mourn, verse 4. They're going to hunger and thirst. Uh, They are going, coming down to verse 10, to be persecuted Because of righteousness. In other words, they're going to do what's right, but be criticized for it. Now, a man or woman who will obey the the voice of Jesus and do do the will of God must be aware that these side effects can exist. Sometimes, in order to obey God, you have to upset people. Is that right? I'll say that again. Sometimes, in order to obey God, you have to upset people. We're not looking to upset anybody. We're nice people. I don't want to upset anybody. But if I'm going to be a servant of God, then of course, from time to time, my views, my opinions, are going to be uh, motivated, influenced, hopefully, fully, by the word of God, not the popular opinion on the street. It's the same with you. Blessed are you, verse 11, when people insult you. You know, there there are side effects to being a Christian. It's a blessing, but there are side effects. They're going to persecute you, verse 11. They're going to falsely say all kinds of evil against you Because of me. You're going to get the blame for living for his name. And the reason we want to say that right from the beginning as we begin to look at this is some of the things that we're going to look at in this sermon are going to get you and me into trouble. 
because we'll be distinctly different from the people around us. And sometimes, dare I say, we might even be distinctly different even in the church we're in. Never mind uh, a, a sort of a secular environment, even in a church environment, you can get into trouble. Somebody once said, what's the definition of a, you know, someone who's a maniac for Jesus? What's the, what's the definition of someone who goes too far in their faith? And the definition is this, someone who's more in love with Jesus than you. Because as they go too far, it, they, they, become, they become normal in the eyes of God, but abnormal in the eyes of like a lukewarm Christian environment. We want to be people who are on fire for God. We want to be people who are going after the things of the kingdom of God. It's not a Sunday pastime that we're involved with. It's our very lives to bring this dynamic message that can change this city right into the heart of things into this place. So I say to the doctor, what are the side effects? And it's almost like Jesus is like a doctor. He's telling them right from the word go. And sometimes, with all respect to, to preachers of whom I'm one, Occasionally, preachers don't tell people the side effects. They merely tell them about the blessing. In which case, when the uh, trouble comes, they become confused. I thought God was going to bless me. Well, the way God blesses you may be different to the way that man wants to bless you. So number one, fulfilling this prescription will have side effects, trouble, unpopularity, etc. Number two, we discover that many, many injustices will await the day of judgment, not now. Uh, uh, very, very quickly, it's not something I want to unpack because we've spoken about suffering just recently. But many of the problems that these people are having in, this, in these um, Beatitudes here, they're not going to be resolved here on earth. They're going to be resolved in heaven. And uh, we do need to keep a perspective of the fact that God has got all of eternity to make things up to me. Not just, uh, uh, he's not just going to bless me here on earth. Some things are going to be unresolved here on earth. I wonder if you saw the body, if you had seen the body of the Apostle Paul, whether you would find it to be attractive or not, i.e., I'm sure he would have had scars, wounds, places where he'd been stoned, times when he'd been shipwrecked, he was not cured of those things here on earth, but in heaven, he knew he, he would inherit something much more glorious. So the first thing we note from these is that the, the prescription contains side effects. To be blessed will involve side effects. People misunderstanding you, people not necessarily liking you very much all the time. Conflict in your family, things like this that will sometimes occur. Like a doctor, we could say, they occur for some people and not for others. And I found that to be true in Christian experience. The problems I sometimes have, others have not had. And the problems others have had, I have not had. The key is, as we keep following the Lord, we're promised blessing. Those who trust God are the blessed of the earth. 
Now let's come to verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As Jesus begins this sermon, he begins to talk about that he's going to call his people to live a different kind of life from the crowd. He's going to bring them back to the original meaning of the Ten Commandments. He's going to bring them back to the heart of God. As he begins to do this, he begins to say, now it's going to be expensive, there's going to be, there's going to be trouble ahead if you do this. But very, very quickly, he begins to center in on the fact that they're going to become evangelists. They're going to be light and salt in the world. Light and salt, at the time that this sermon would have been heard, were generally considered good things rather than bad things. Today, if we say, you are the salt of the earth, someone says, well, I don't really like salt, you know. My doctor says, well, the days of the New Testament, salt was good. In the days of the New Testament, no one popped up on TV, you shouldn't really have salt, you know, you shouldn't do that. What's your salt intake? Because it was used for flavoring, yes, but it was also used to, um, uh, what's the word, preserve things as well. They were attractive things, attractive qualities. To be light was a good thing. To be salt was a good thing. First Peter 3 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, be a good evangelist, says Peter. But, he goes on, do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Three very simple things about salt and light before we're done today. About being evangelists. Number one, these people were to be open about their faith. Very simple, isn't it? They were to be open about their faith. He said, a city on a hill can't be hidden. You can't, you can't miss it. Sometimes things can be missed. The other day we were visiting a friend and I've got a bit of a, I've got a, bit of a confession to make now. I don't know whether to do this if this is being recorded, so this might get edited out. Um, if you're listening to the recording and suddenly you hear classical music, it's because it's been edited out. But we were visiting a friend the other day, and, he's, and he showed me a view from his garden, and he said, look, can you see those three 
trees at the top of the hill. Now he clearly could see them. And he said, look, those three, you, you can see those three trees at the top of the hill. And I'm looking at them, I can't see no trees. Well, I can see a hundred trees. Which were the three that he meant? So I just, let's be clear. I don't, I, yes, yes, I said, I can. Because I could see 20 trees and 50 beyond. Some things are obvious, some things less so. But in the days of the New Testament, there was a city on a hill. Everyone knew where it was. You couldn't miss it. They built these cities on the top of the hills, normally because of ancient um, defenses, you know. Much more difficult to attack a city on a hill. And so these cities were, were built on top of a hill. Everyone knew where they were. So Jesus' first instruction as these, his disciples were going to become evangelists, the purity they were going to have was going to shine forth for everyone to see. The first thing was that their faith had to be open. Everyone should know that they were followers of God. Now we find that this is not always the case today. Some people like to keep their faith. Well, it's my faith. It's my faith. By the way, it's not your faith. It's God's faith. But no, it's my faith and... And it's, it's a private matter between me and God. Private matter. No, it's not. Only in your head. It's not actually a private matter. Jesus died for you in public. And so we also have to be pretty public about our faith too. Jesus didn't die in private for us. He died in public for us. And similarly, our faith should also be a public thing. Some people are find it difficult to share with everyone uh, that they are a Christian because they're afraid of mockery and rejection. And I just want to encourage you, just relish that battle, will you? And, uh, and there's a way to be respectful. We already read that we should be gentle and respectful. It's probably not a good idea to go into the office and say, hands up, all of the idiots here that are atheists. Not a, not a good evangelistic technique. April Fool's Day and you buy all the atheists in, at work a card. There you are, you fool. <laughs> no, it, we should be respectful. But I want to encourage you, and I know this has, this has other, other, other connotations, but I think we're okay to use it these days. It's t- it's, some people need to come out that they're a Christian, you know. I'll give you some hidden, some, some hidden thing. You know, sat on a, uh, you know, sat at work and someone says, so where were you? Someone's going to say to you, where were you yesterday afternoon? You go, oh, oh no, where am I going to say I was? Where am I going to say I was? No, their faith was supposed to be open. Everyone was supposed to know. Everyone was supposed to know. Now, that's not the same. We're not suggesting that people should give utterances in tongues at the water cooler. We're not suggesting that you need to have a holy shake, uh, you know, uh, at work. We're not talking about that. But in fact, in the words of um, the 
epistle to Titus that we use again and again in this, in this church, we're supposed to make the teaching about God our Savior attractive to people. Not necessarily by buying them gifts. You know, oh, it's your birthday. I thought I'd buy you another Bible. <laughs> Why are you buying me another Bible? Because I know you didn't read the one I gave you last year. Here's one with pictures. If you're a secret Christian, it's time to come out of the closet about that. And uh, I remember when I, you know, came to, I came to law when I was 18. And I remember taking my parents out for a meal and telling them, I remember that. I remember putting it off and putting it off and, well, why don't we have some more garlic bread, you know, and putting it off. Sat there to 20 to 4 in the morning, let's have some more garlic bread. I said, Dad, I've got something to tell you, and I, I'm a bit nervous about it, and I can see him getting really, really nervous. I said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so they were supposed to be open. Supposed to be open about it. And... Um, you know, there are ways to be open about it. Uh, can I encourage you? Is this some, here we go, here's a little bit of homework. Is this someone key in your life that doesn't know that you are a follower of Jesus? Why don't you tell them this week? Why don't we just break this, this whole secrecy thing out? Get the soul out of the salt shaker. I love to do that because I like salt. So whenever we have a meal, I always pretend with Jane that it's not coming out. It's just not coming out. It's coming out. No, it's not. It's not. As you see, we have a very healthy marriage. You've got to get the salt out of the shaker. A city on a hill. You don't light a lamp and then put it under the table. Everyone's supposed to see. Okay? So that's the kind of evangelist Jesus was wanting them to be. Number two, uh, two of three, they were supposed to have a wide influence. A wide influence. I think that one of the great things that's happening in the Christian world today, and we Pentecostals have taken our time to catch up with this. So what I'm saying today is something that other church groups and movements and denominations have actually been doing for years. And I think we're just catching up with them is they're beginning to understand that there is room, valid, Holy Ghost room, for Christians to impact society in all kinds of ways. When I became a Christian 20-something years ago, when someone became a Christian, the best thing they could do was to become a preacher, or become a church worker, or become an evangelist, or something like that. If an actor you know, became a Christian or a, or a local politician or something, became a Christian and they said, right, I'm going to give it all up and I'm going to sit on the deacon board. Everyone went, oh, hallelujah, that's marvelous. And you know what? Maybe that was just fundamentally the wrong thing for so many people to have done. It seemed like the only thing that was really valued in the Christian world was the ministry. Now, by the way, I really do value the ministry. And some people should give up things and enter the ministry. It's not that that's wrong. 
But a few years ago, I remember a very prominent leader in South America with an extraordinary church. I read all his books. Suddenly I read that he was going into politics. And I remember feeling really disappointed. Oh, what's he doing? It's like he's backsliding. He's backsliding and he's going for the job of the president of the country. It's like he's gone all lukewarm about Jesus. But of course it's nonsense, isn't it? Because the influence he would have had as the president of the country was much, much greater than the influence he had as a podcast on iTunes or as the leader of a big church. Jesus said that our influence should be wide, like light, like salt. It should be widespread. If God's called you to be a school teacher, you should be the best school teacher that there is, as best as you can be, for him. If God has called you to the, to the care profession or the medical profession, then maybe God isn't going to call you out in order for you to be a Sunday school teacher. You can do that in your spare time anyway. But God is calling you to be the best care worker or the best doctor or the best plasterer or the best plumber or the best businessman there is. That in every arena of our society, God's people exist. Not just in churches. Can you say amen? Do you want to know what a media system looks like? Do you want a media system like the BBC or Channel 4 or the ITV network? Do you want to know what a media system looks like that Christians have not really influenced? I can tell you, just turn on the TV today. That's what it looks like where the influence has gone. And all of a sudden, people are preaching in churches all over Britain today, but people are preaching another message on TV every day through chat shows, through um, um, presentations, through, through writing for soap operas. No, no, no. The, the word of God and, and the salt and the light needs to permeate the whole of society. So number one, It needs to be open. Number two, it needs to be wide, finally. Number three, it needs to be consistent. Consistent. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Jesus said, it's worthless now. It used to be invaluable but it's lost its saltiness, what good is it now? I find those words to be very strong because I know what they mean. Do you know what they mean? That means we have to be consistent because if we lose our saltiness, maybe we perhaps shouldn't say we would never be salty again, but it means we're starting right back from the beginning. When I was growing up, Oh, when I became a Christian, sort of maybe I was 20 years old. God, I think of that as growing up now. Dear, dear. But I remember a guy in the church, and he seemed a really nice guy. He owned a hotel. They're nice people, aren't they? Hotel owners. And he was a nice guy, made everyone laugh. Sometimes he'd get up and share. Really, really nice guy. And then one day in the foyer, he fell out with one of the guys, and he grabbed him by the neck. And he thrust him against the wall and held, like Darth Vader style, uh, you know, up against the wall like this. 
God, that's a good. People were so upset they missed that meeting. Now, in just a moment, that man lost his um, lost his temper. Now, there are better ways to lose your temper than that. But in just a moment, he just got so agitated, threw the man against the wall, literally with his hand around his neck. And from that day on, when he got up and spoke, no one really wanted to listen to him anymore. Well, poor fella. But you you can see how that works. Because every time he got up to say, praise God, everyone was thinking, yeah, but you were Darth Vader last week. Right? Now, does that mean that guy can never have favor with man again? Absolutely not. But he is, back at, he is back at the beginning again, isn't he? He's made, to use a Paralympic phrase, made popular, he's made a false start. He has to start again. He's been disqualified for this particular race. I remember one time I was working with a lady and I don't suppose any of you know her, so I'm going to actually mention her name. Her name was Armorell. Armorell. And she used to work with me uh, under the ground in these caves. And she, was, she'd used to, she used to be an actor, an actress. She was in Only Fools and Horses, for those of you who know what that is. And, um, but she'd hit hard times, and now she was working with me. So that's hard times. It's not appearing in Only Fools and Horses no more. So she was, uh, they weren't working out for her. And she was known at work. Now, I don't know if you've got anyone at work a bit like this, but she was known as being a bit on the gloomy side. So when, whenever you went to look at the rotor, who's on working with me today? Armorell. Right. Okay. Woo! See you tomorrow. No, no, I'm not in tomorrow. Armorell's in tomorrow. Armorell! Oh no. And then I went through a season at work where I felt I was working too hard. And uh, I started to get a bit gloomy. And I was a bit agitated and I was thinking of leaving. And I got it. You know when you're just feeling working too hard. And, uh, but I began to lose my saltiness. And one day, I went to see a fellow staff member and I said, I'm feeling a bit down. She said, I know. I said, what do you mean you know? She said, oh, I know, I, I know you've been a bit down. I said, well, is it, is it obvious? She said, well, she said, and you can see her taking a deep breath, wondering how I was going to take this news. She said, well, she said, over the last few weeks, she, she said, you have been a bit, um, um, Armorellish. 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 I've been a bit armorellish. Yes, she said, you've been a bit armorellish. Well, you can look in your dictionary. There's no such word. But she couldn't have given me a more foul swear word than that. Armorellish. I had to go to God and say, Lord, I... I need to sort myself out. Because you know, don't you, you just drop your testimony, you only have to drop it once. 
And it's not, maybe it's not all over, it's not game over. But that lap is over. You lose your temper at work. You do something unrighteous. They're all waiting, aren't they, to catch you at it. I thought you were a Christian. Jesus says in order to be the kind of followers that he wants us to be, we have to be open, we have to spread our influence wide, and we must be consistent. I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen today, that probably that third part is the most difficult of all. But the effect of all this is that we might be blessed. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.